Consider it the greatest of all virtues to restrain your tongue. Cato the Younger. Hello, my fellow Stoics, and thank you for listening in to the Stoic Sage podcast. I am joined by Shane Sorison from Renaissance Wisdom. Hey, Shane, welcome to the show. Daniel, thanks. Thanks for having me back on. I'm excited to speak with you today. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. So your philosophy is more focused on the Renaissance period. Uh, can, can you tell me or tell us how this emphasis in philosophy relates to preparedness for a prosperous, uh, prosperous life in the modern world? Yeah. Um, and, and I will say, obviously, uh, I know you've read through the book as well. Stoicism was a part of, you know, the Renaissance psyche, I would say so much so that I actually dedicate a chapter in my book to it. Uh, it, it wasn't as profound in the sense that a, a lot of the major Stoics hadn't really been translated and weren't accessible in Italy at the time. Uh, but specifically, Seneca was one of the most well-read and you know most quoted and studied individuals during the Renaissance period. So it, it did have quite a profound influence on the Renaissance. I, I think that something that you saw during the Renaissance that was really important was the development of the civic humanism. So humanism, at least in the Renaissance period, placed a huge emphasis on the individual and on individual growth, flourishing, and betterment. And part of that journey to individual improvement was obviously focused on the ethical. And when you read writers like Cicero and Quintilian and Seneca, these were some of the most widely respected and well and most read people during the time. They place a huge emphasis on not just necessarily succeeding they do talk about the use of rhetoric and how to influence people and how to essentially you know better your station in life but their their biggest emphasis is is really on that that inner world that looking within and trying to be a better human being trying to live ethically trying to live a life that's in accordance with traditional virtues and with with human nature so um, <clears throat> I think that that that's definitely an important place to start and to note is that with philosophy, it's really meant to be a practical venture. There, there are some more modern forms of philosophy where it's purely metaphysical. And of course, the Stoics had metaphysical beliefs as well. Um, <clears throat> but I think that the, the genesis of philosophy in general, all the way back to Socrates, is about personal development. It's about living a better life. It's about trying to tap into deeper parts of our nature that are aligned with a universal truth and, and, and trying to live that way. Now, you can use a lot of the ideas of philosophy, for example, uh, rhetoric or justice, and you can use these for personal gain um, but you can also purely look within and try to better yourself as well. So I think that, um, and I'm sure that's something we're going to talk a lot about today, but I, I think that there's a balance between using the wisdom that we gain through philosophy for purely for personal gain. And for personal gain, I, I mean, in the sense of advancing your station in life, but you can also use it to focus on the inner world, which purely affects you, your own soul your own personal development. I, th I think that there's a, a balance that we we have to constantly walk as individuals. Yes. And whenever you said the inner world versus the uh, outer world, it, it kind of reminded me of, um, you know, popular music obviously plays a really large role in, in all of this too. But, um, mm. you know, life is all about you and yet, not at all about you and i think that that that's a huge part of of philosophy and, and to me personally where you know we have our individual lives that are equally important and and very very important to maintain and and be better uh, each and every day but at the same time 
bettering and, and improving your life also improves the collective. And it's sort of a balance that, that we kind of have to remind ourselves with, you know, in the direction or in the pursuit of, of betterment, how am I also improving the collective? And that's mm-hmm. a, a big part of philosophy from, from what, what we read and, and also modern day philosophy as well. It's a, it's a, it's a bit of a balancing act, right? And a, a question that I had was, you know, to follow up is how did Renaissance thinkers uh, in, in their pursuit of wisdom and prosperity employ more uh, ethical principles of, uh, and logic to navigate the challenges uh, of their time? Sure. <clears throat> well, I'll, I'll say that, um, you know, at least during the earlier years in the Renaissance, there, there's sort of been throughout like the Western world and throughout the philosophical tradition, there's sort of been this back and forth in many ways between Plato and Aristotle. It, it's a constant thing that we see where, and, and this is a, a really, really broad oversimplification. It's it's not quite this simple, but in general, when you look at the philosophy of Plato, you're, you're looking at something that's a little bit more spiritual, a little bit more metaphysical. You, you talk about the world of forms and how we, see things that we interact with in this life, but there's a, a perfect form of this thing somewhere in heaven or in another universe or however, you know, you, you want to view it. Right. But we see this sort of like spiritual world that we're inhabiting with Aristotle. Aristotle was a little bit more right brained thinking. I guess he was, was much more logical. Everything could be deduced or reduced down. <clears throat> there was a lot of categorization. And, you know, again, it's not to say that they didn't dive into the other side a bit in their philosophy, but you see this back and forth throughout philosophical tradition. And something that happened going into the Renaissance, at least in Italy and uh, in Florence, particularly where I focus on in my book, you see this this education system that was dominated by Aristotle's philosophy. So it was very like mathematical. It was very logical. Um, it, it was very much about using kind of like traditional philosophical and logical reasoning to arrive at, you know, certain ideas and something that happened towards the middle and towards the end of the Renaissance period. And, you know, the late 1400s there in Florence was there was a revival of the study of Plato. And so, it started to become a lot more spiritual. It started to become a lot more, um, I guess is not as, not as like structured and regimented and it became a little bit more, I think, open-minded experimental as well. Um, so like looking at that development and how people started to look within a little bit more, people started to look back to the world of forms. I think that that shifted a little bit of the, I guess it shifted a little bit of the mindset um, throughout those two periods. So, you know, that that's one thing to just kind of consider. But wherever you fell in the Renaissance period, again, people widely read men like Seneca, people widely read men like Cicero and Quintilian. And all of these writers, um, you, you have to kind of separate them a little bit. So like Cicero and Quintilian were a little bit more like on the rhetorician, like, political side kind of in the world Seneca was obviously he was in the world right he was a very very powerful and wealthy Roman senator he uh, tutored Nero he tutored you know a a growing emperor so he was very involved as well but I I think that you know Seneca's writings in particular were a little bit more self-reflective a little bit more aesthetic um, despite his positions of, of power and so I think it's important when you look at all three of these individuals that they were successful they were teachers and when you go back to like the the stoic idea of the preferred indifference right there was this this uh acknowledgement of the fact that there are things that come to you in life and they're just basically indifferent they can be used for good or they can be used for you know your own harm right so for example a, a really common one to look at is wealth so the preferred indifference, you know, the stoic belief is that 
you can take a thing like wealth. And for example, if, if you're very ungrounded, if you're not focused on your own ethical world, if you're not trying to master yourself, wealth can actually damage you and harm you quite a bit. Because if you're run and ruled by your vices and your impulses, you get a bunch of wealth and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're hitting up the brothel every night, you're drunk all the time, uh, you're having people murdered, and it's going to lead to ultimately damaging yourself, right? Damaging your character, your happiness, your, your place and position in this world. Uh, but on the flip side, if, if you're possessed of wisdom and you seek to live wisely, wealth can be of a great advantage to you, right? It, it allows you to spend time uh, instead of worrying about paying bills, for example, or trying to keep yourself alive. You can actually take that time to look inwardly, to ask deeper questions about yourself. You can give back to others. You can uh, build build communities of people who come together and share ideas. So this is something that you saw heavily in the Renaissance. And that's why I mentioned civic humanism earlier was there was this idea that as you began to excel as an individual and as you achieved success in the world, you had this responsibility to better your society. And this formed things like public libraries. You know, you saw some of the first public libraries ever occur during the Renaissance. Um, you saw like advanced or early forms of of social welfare, like building up grain so that during times of famine or during times of uh, economic turmoil, that there would be food to, to give bread to the peasants and the people of the city. So um, I, th I think it's kind of like two levels, right? There was that idea of still they were always focusing on the inner development, on virtue, on honor, some of these more traditional virtues. But at the, they also started to look at life a little bit different in the sense that I think that they saw that they owed a bit to their their local communities as well. I really liked that extra layer that philosophy played a role in. I mean, at, at that time, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, but uh, there was there was this huge uh, religious battle happening around the Renaissance, right? Mm -hmm. And so philosophy kind of added this extra layer you know because you were you were mentioning there was a spiritual side to it um but but philosophy in general uh, and and stoicism referencing stoicism also adds this layer of of um of philosophy to it that kind of forces people to also think ethically outside of just themselves uh, and um, the individual, yes, we should focus on ourselves and, and being better every single day. Uh, but how do we also expand that, that ethical and, and, and logic to kind of expand to other people? Uh, and, and I really like how that impacted, you know, I actually didn't know that, um, you know, they were actually forced to kind of grow their grain to help uh, the people uh, in need during times of famine or uh, establishing the first uh, libraries. I think that's all super interesting. And, and I think that's one thing that I love about philosophy, that it does, you know, kind of force you to look inward. But within that journey of looking inward, you are kind of forced to realize the outward aspect of it, too. Yeah, and it it, it took on, you know, there's there's different like. You know, there's different layers to it. Uh, you know, they they also set up, and this will sound kind of barbaric in our in our modern day in a little bit. Um, but they set up dowry funds. So a, a common problem that would happen was uh, having too many daughters could actually like <laughs> could actually wreck a family because, uh, especially for the for the wealthy, you know, every time you gave away a daughter to be married so that she would be provided for, you had to give a, a dowry. And if you were trying to find a, a suitable husband that was, you know, well, well uh, in a good family, for example, you may have to give a, a significant dowry. So imagine you're a father and you have five daughters. Y you will have to give up a huge amount of your wealth just to make sure that your daughters are going to be married off and provided, provided for. So one of the things they did was they, they set up these, these dowry funds where, it was like insurance. It was sort of like a lottery. And they, they looked at the birth rate and the death rate, like how many, like what percentage of 
young girls who were born as babies would survive to the age of 18. Cause you have to remember, right. There were, we, we were missing a lot of medical advancements. Some, some kids were born and they just had problems that they couldn't fix. You know, there was things like the plague and there were diseases that went around and, you know, people would get food poisoning and they might die from it because they, they didn't have electrolyte replacements and, and such. So um, they would take this money and they would invest it basically into a, a state fund and they would manage it and grow interest on it. And <clears throat> by the time your daughter would turn to, to marrying age, and I say 18, which obviously the married, the marriage age was generally much lower than that. You're, you're probably talking like somewhere between 14, 13 to 16 um, generally. But by the time they would reach this age, either if your if your daughter would pass away during that period, you would just get your money back. And if not, um, then you would have a an amount that you had invested that had grown that would allow you to to marry off your daughter. So you saw things like this, um, which you know again were you're purely just kind of like, I guess, uh, you know, practical. But but what you would also see is the Medici family, which I talk a lot about in the book as well. Um, they were a very well-established banking family. And early on, some of the early Medici really focused on instilling in their, in their kids and in their family, the idea that to, to be rich was sort of putting a target on your back in society. And you got to think like, the wealthy these days, like they can, they can go build these little communities on private beaches in Miami or, you know, up in the hills of Los Angeles. Right. And they're, they're very isolated. They have their own stores. They have, they can kind of get away. Right. You have your Jeff Bezos that can just like drive around and live on his private yacht for years. <laughs> um, it, it wasn't like that in the Renaissance, right. There was, there was no internet and you would live in the city. So you would have these very wealthy, powerful people and men who had to live amongst bread makers and uh, you know <laughs> janitors and servants, and you have to imagine that someone walking around pompously displaying their wealth and how successful they are that that gets a little irritating to someone that can't eat. So they realized very early on that it was much better to be a, a man of the people, so to speak, than it was to you know display these like that their their profound wealth, and so. I think that some of the generosity that they did and some of the things that they did were definitely directed at uh, self-preservation. Um, but, you know, the, regardless of, I guess, the the motivation, right, you, you did see how this trickled down into society, right? They, they donated a lot of money to um, philosophers, to artists, to architects. And that's part of why you see so much beauty in these, these Renaissance cities still to this day is because they wanted everyone to have this beautiful and secure and uh, flourishing community because they knew that, you know, if things ever got too rough for the lower, there probably was going to be revolt and most likely it was going to be their heads on the chopping block. Whoa, that is in incredibly interesting. Uh, that <laughs> <laughs> that uh, you know, living amongst the people kind of forced them to force the, the the wealthy people to kind of reflect back on themselves, kind of like a bit of a humbling experience to be like, oh wait, I can't, you know, flaunt. I can't be too distanced from from the everyday people. And I I think a lot of wealthy people. I think we can argue a lot of wealthy people today are kind of so distanced from, mm -hmm. from from the way that uh the the average person lives today and you know what if, if we're going to apply you know some level of uh, philosophy to today i think modern day philosophy can definitely benefit from that i mean it's very nice that you know wealth can get you access but how much of that like life that you're separating yourself from you know are you reminding yourself of the interconnectedness of, of humanity in general and, and how the majority are living. How are you um, as an individual benefiting the collective, not just mm -hmm. focusing only on yourself. And, and I think a lot of people kind of strive for that a little bit too much today. I mean, we were so interconnected that um, through the internet, you know, and, and people are only seeing a cross section of a cross section of a cross section of what reality actually is. 
that it it kind of even seems to be that people are forgetting uh, to do things more ethically and with balancing that ambition to, you know, achieve more riches or, or to achieve uh, more wealth. I think a lot of people are, are, are struggling with with that. I mean, there's uh, especially with the kind of businesses that, that they're going into. I'm, I'm not too sure if you are also getting those ads from people that are like, oh, I can make you um a millionaire in these three easy steps you know <laughs> yeah it's a kind of a, in my opinion forcing people uh to kind of think less ethically uh, especially with their with their own lives i mean how how much are you damaging oneself in the uh in that journey of trying to become more wealthy you know there's that virtuous aspect that you kind of have to remember that as you build up to that as well so I mean, like, I, I think many people are struggling with with balancing ambition and sort of those uh, those ethical values in in the pursuit of success, right? And and we can see that in in the past and how uh, living more collectively together kind of forced people to realize themselves and where they are in society. I mean, are, are how can let's say the 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 insights from Renaissance thinkers and and even stoke philosophers help individuals reconcile like those aspects of of modern day life <clears throat> balancing the ambition and those ethical values yeah that's a good question um so I, some sometimes i i end up kind of rambling a bit and forgetting where i where i went but I, i'll say that there's like there's there's sort of two points that i would um kind of make on the idea of, of of finding i guess that that balance between the the inward and the outward life so to speak so the first thing is like society has really 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 drifted away collectively from the ethical and the inner world right I, I kind of look at this. I had a guest on my show recently and said that his, his kind of breakdown is really sticking in my head. His name's Adam Hergenrother, but um, he, he basically says that you have two lives, right? You have the, you have a hundred percent of the outer, like the, the outer life and the inner life, you know, so there's a hundred percent inner a hundred percent outer. And I think that's a good way of looking at it. Right. Is that we are, and regardless of like, if you believe in spirit or not, I, I've had a return to faith recently. So I view things a little, a little bit differently now, but <clears throat> you know, you, you have a inner world, right. And you can call it spiritual or you can just call it, you know, your, your thinking brain. Right. But th there's also a physical world, right. We, we inhabit a physical body and this physical body has to go out there and worry about food and worry about shelter and worry about relationships but at the same time, there's this this inner drive, right, to, to do things like better yourself, to live ethically. And I think that as a society, we have really, really, really lost the emphasis on the inner world. And that, that's ethics, that's study, that's wisdom, that's knowledge. It's it's completely lost, right? Like, I, I think that we're almost exclusively, when you look at our, our traits that we tend to celebrate as a society you know, pe people like us, right. Our, our podcasts, you know, we're, we're happy to get a, a, just a, you know, a small group of people that, that want to listen and want to think about these deeper ideas. Right. And then you, you see people like Logan Paul and, you know, Aiden Ross and Adam 22. And like these, these guys have millions of people who hang on their every word and try to emulate them. And, Look, I, I'm not like one to, you know, cast stones or judge people, right? But like as far as the depth of their content, the stuff that they're producing does not lead to any sort of betterment of the world, right? It's it's the lowest level of of just living, right? It's about like just having fun, about talking about other people. It's purely about excitement. It's like titillation of the the lowest base senses. And, you know, you see that on the entertainment side, but when you look at the way that most people live their lives, right? They, they take no moments to stop and think about what the right thing to do is, right? They are so caught up in the accumulation of, of items, 
uh, of the new iPhone of, of, you know, some, some nicer car, right. Getting the Mercedes or the Lambo or, um, the, these things are the way that people are kind of celebrated and the things that people look up to in our modern world. And when it comes to someone being a good human being, it's like, there's, there's no celebration for these things in our society on a, on a large level anymore. Sure. We appreciate them. Yeah. We, we pay lip service to the idea that, you know, we want to be good human beings, but it's not celebrated, right? When you look at where the money goes, when you look at where the attention goes, where, where the honor goes. And I think this is the big thing that I'm getting at is traditional societies were honor-based, right? Like they, they were, people were honored on their merits. People were celebrated because they worked hard. People were celebrated because they could speak well. People were celebrated because they, they lived well and treated others fairly. And today people are purely celebrated on the terms of how much like personal success they can achieve. And, and that's usually measured in the accumulation of worthless items, right? If we're being honest, they, they do nothing for us. They pass away when we do, um, or just purely on the terms of like clout or just the accumulation of, of money, just having like ones and zeros in someone's bank account. And you know, I, I think that that is the biggest, I think that's the biggest problem facing today is that we have lost our, our collective celebration of, of virtue. And we just, we don't, we don't seek honor. We don't celebrate the good in human beings. We're, we're just purely consumer driven at this point. I, I completely agree with that. I mean, it is that lack of, um, the inner what would, would, would you say it's the 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 inner world that they're kind of looking at because that's kind of where where i would say as well the whole virtue uh the looking at your own ethical values right yeah i would say that's you know the inner world or like the the spiritual it's it's the you know it's it's the lasting world right because it just and th this is like, you know, I don't know if you want to take it this direction or not, but like, I I've been thinking a lot about, you know, the, like the words of Jesus and stuff lately. And, you know, he says like, we're, we're in the world, um, you know, but we're not of the world. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think, I think that we just forget that it's like, yes, we're here, we're participating in life, but life is not like, it's not all there is mm -hmm. the, the, just the hustle and bustle of industry and being involved in things that this is, there's more to this. And all of this is going to pass away. Everything we see, everything that we accumulate, it'll all pass away and it'll be forgotten. And I, th I think that, you know, the one thing that will earn you some sort of like <laughs> karmic currency or some kind of lasting legacy is, is the way that you treat human beings. It's, the type of person that you have and the character you, you develop and it, they don't earn you anything in this world anymore. And I think that's why a lot of people don't pay attention to them is because be, being a good person doesn't, doesn't make you wealthy. Um, and, and like, again, it's, you know, that's what most people are, are focused on. It's just the accumulation of wealth. Yeah. It's the instant gratification as well. I mean, it's, uh, it's, um, trying consistently to to garner more like hurting yourself in that process whereby you're not you're not appreciating that journey you're, you're not appreciating the things that you have so you yeah. sort of loathe what what you live today in hopes of what you'll have tomorrow and and when you kind of balance those two things as an individual you end up choosing very unethical things uh, or you start pursuing unethical desires and that's when you get into um you know desiring things that kind of don't really mean anything you know like like you said the clouds the the lamborghini the um all, all of these external likes and and views and whatnot these things at the end of the day don't really give you much value not that deep sense of value. And, you know, um, we can draw, in my opinion, philosophy sh should be utilized as a, as a tool and technique to draw wisdom from anywhere, you know? So from religion, yes, I, I am totally there. Um, I also, I've also kind of 
stepped into that direction as well. So I'm I'm right there with you with the <laughs> with that with that religious aspect as well. I mean, sure. it's it's it played an important part of of society as well. I mean, I think that's the part of spirituality that I think that we're kind of missing out on as well. I mean, there's that that's one thing one of the the many things that religion played a role in it it was teaching us that hey we are also part of a collective don't forget that you know we all should be bringing in others as well we should be accepting of others and we should be spreading an important word that would help with individual prosperity helping you recognize that you should be content and happy with what you currently have in order to actually uh, pursue a particular uh, goal in mind and making sure that you are being ethical in in that value because if, if you don't you, you're only serving your own destruction right i think that goes also into it kind of forces you into a level of mental preparedness <clears throat> you know, for, for the future whether that be yeah monetarily is is very important to be thinking about you know because that's how you're going to prepare for your future but to what level to what level are you realistically thinking about? Because if all you're doing is trying to pursue, you know, many, many um, ones and zeros, I mean, are, are you actually focusing on the things that are important, like fostering good relationships with others or and more importantly, with yourself? I mean, like you said, we're, we're, we're all going to die soon. We're all meeting our end. And if all you've ever focused on is instant gratification and, and trying to escape the world that you currently live in, I mean, what are you building up for in the future? Are you going to have lasting relationships? Is your instant gratification of, of spending money today to look good for clout going to benefit you? you know, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it, it opens up this whole can of worms that, um, you know, if, if you're not focused on, on internally, you can't focus on, on your future, right? Yeah. And when, when you talk about the collective, you know, something that pops into my head is uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge Nietzsche fan. Uh, and Nietzsche is the philosopher that is famously quoted as saying, God is dead, right? And, and people take that out of context a lot because they, a lot of times you would read this quote taken out of context and you would think that it, it's a sort of celebration, right? The, this, this atheist philosopher who promotes the idea that we should form our own, uh, form our own ethics and morality and live courageously. You, you would think it's a celebration, but he, he wasn't. And if you read the full excerpt of that quote, He's very much lamenting the fact that God is dead because he he sees the writing on the wall. Even though he's not personally a religious person, he understands what this means for society as a whole. And what it means and what he sees is some of the evils that we've seen over the last 100 years, right? I think he could anticipate things like the Nazis. He could anticipate the uh, the, the crazy corruption in our government. He could see the writing on the wall. And one of the things for better or for worse about religion, about collective belief in religion is that religion has taught people ethics, right? The the Bible or Islam, the Quran or Hinduism or Buddhism, whatever it is, right? They all focus on this inner world. And they also, they have some sort of accountability for our actions here on earth, right? Like, if, if you live a terrible life and you hurt people, you, you won't be reincarnated in a better position. You'll never reach uh, peace. Or, you know, if, if you go out and you, you sin, you will, you will never reach heaven and get to be with God. This, <clears throat> this idea that you're going to be held accountable in another life for the actions that you make here on earth was something that just kind of held society together, right? Because a lot of times, and this, I could dive deeper into this. I won't dive too deep into it. But, you know, the the idea, at least in Christianity, is that, you know, the world was given over to Satan. So (laughs) if if the world was given over to Satan, then, of course, like, it's going to be permitted that people can achieve all sorts of wealth and success in the world at the detriment of their inner world, because it, it's going to harm you. And ultimately, that that's the goal. 
So if if 90% of society believes that we're going to be held accountable for our actions in life, in the next life, and you're going to be eternally damned and suffer forever because of the actions and choices that you make, well, 90% of that population, that 90% is probably going to put some thought into the actions that they make if they think that they're going to be judged for those actions. But on the flip side, if 90% of the world believes that God is dead and there is no God and it's a creation of our own mind and all that we have is these moments that we're here on earth, well, 90% of that 90% is going to be fully vested into extracting as much pleasure and enjoyment out of each moment as they possibly can because there is nothing after after death um and, and so that that's a really important role because as you and i know both most people are not philosophically minded they they don't take the time to ask questions and it's not because they can't it's not because they're inferior or intel, uh, unintelligent just they're distracted. They're caught up in the the temptations and the uh, the rewards of the world, and they they just haven't taken the time to stop and, and think. And so, unfortunately, you know, when you have a world that's not governed by religion, and you have a world that most people don't take time to look inwardly, and people don't believe that there's any sort of consequences for their actions, um, you end up in a world that's a lot like today. Yeah, and uh, I totally agree with that. Like the the aspect of, of God, you know, it played a very very important role in the past, and 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 making sure that people were reminded that hey, we're we're not just here for ourselves; we're here for each other too, and where there are consequences and and all of that. And I think that part is is heavily missing from from today. That, in my opinion, could could benefit everybody, you know, and. it's kind of an odd shift. I mean, where do we go from here is probably my biggest question. I mean, I think from the stoic perspective, my thought process is, you know, the, the stoic does not, you know, fear death or pain, but the stoic fears um, letting himself down or letting, letting themselves down. Mm -hmm. So, that's kind of the only aspect that 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 I can draw to if there's a society that's right now drifting away from from um, traditional r- religion and moving into this new age of of religion because I, I do notice I don't know if, if you've caught on as well but on, on social media there's a lot of like self-help from what I from what I could tell and I, and I think that it's kind of a pendulum shift where we are recognizing that, hey, this interconnected world that we've created for ourselves that gives us instant gratification and also presents to us lies of what the reality of the world is and what it takes to achieve greatness. We're kind of swinging it back completely where I, at least from what I see, that there is this role of self-awareness without religion now. Mm-hmm. And there's this self-development. And, and I think that's a great thing, but um, I think that people are still missing this, what is it, like this this meaning, you know, with, with, without, I'm, and I'm, I'm not saying that religion will, f- will fill that hole of, uh, of finding that, that meaning, that belonging, that... Um, that that missing piece that yes you can be self-aware yes you can be um acting in in good faith and and apply good ethics but that's one thing that i believe that religion did a really good job in it's it's making you feel like you belong somewhere making you feel like you are um part of of something greater than just yourself and I think that with how divided social media has made people, people are kind of falling into little pockets. And I think that I, I mean, I, I would I don't know if I want to go down this road either, but, but the whole um, social justice and, you know, the, these other forms of meaning that people are kind of going into. And I think a lot of people are going into the political side of it and kind of creating barriers amongst one another. 
when people are forgetting that yet like we are still part of a collective and you can have differing opinions about many things that's how we move forward but how do we kind of bridge that gap and and i i think the answer is is philosophy i i think the answer is recognizing that there we need to be asking ourselves more questions as opposed to getting just answers from other people for the, for the questions that we deeply inherently have because um, if you're not answering these questions yourselves what is the purpose of life what is where is meaning you're just going to get just answers to questions you didn't know you even had and when you introduce that kind of role in society you know the whole self-awareness kind of just disappears <laughs> yeah in my in my opinion you know what let me what, what are your thoughts on that um <clears throat> a couple thoughts so you know first is a, a lot of people who pay lip service to and you know enjoy stoicism or study stoicism most people are very familiar with like the the ethical teachings of stoicism and the classical virtues as far as you know temperance and justice and but a lot of people don't <clears throat> realize that that stoicism actually does have a a metaphysical belief system as well right and yeah it, it's 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 generally it's it's pretty pantheistic the the idea of god to you know most of the stoics was that there's this collective, right? It's, it's the universe. It's the, it's the air. It's the way the birds fly through the air and the rain falls and waters, the grass that feeds the cows that feed us. And it's like everything that exists is this sort of living, thriving, symbiotic relationship where with everything else. And so they, they had this idea that to harm your world or to harm, to harm someone else was, was basically harming yourself because we were all part of this like existence, this universe, this, this, uh, life force, this, this universal spirit, so to speak. Um, so th this idea, you know, of, of collect, like being a part of a collective or being a part of something and belonging, it doesn't necessarily have to come you know, strictly through religious means. And obviously I know that, you know, that's, that's where you just referenced. Like, I think that the, you know, philosophy is, is the answer as well. And, and I used to say philosophy and I think now I would differentiate from philosophy and I would say wisdom, right? Because mm -hmm. again, in the, in the ancient origins of the word philosophy, it's, it's a philosopher is a lover of wisdom from, from Greek. And um, wisdom is something that is, is highly emphasized throughout religions as well. And, you know, wisdom is a very difficult thing to categorize, to explain to someone. It's a, it's a pretty abstract concept, but, you know, when, one thing I would say is that there is very much a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Um, you know, having the knowledge of how to build a nuclear bomb is a very dangerous thing without wisdom uh, because mm -hmm. you might just build the bomb and blow yourself up and kill everyone. Um, but if you, if you have some wisdom, you know, uh, or, you know, a gun or any form of technology, right. There's, there's always these double edged swords as we progress through society. And as you mentioned, like we, we have this like fractured society because of social media and politics and cancel culture. And, you know, the thing is like the people who are doing these things, the people that are on the opposite aisle of belief from you, they generally want good things, right? Like pe people who get involved in like cancel culture, for example, they think they're doing a service to the world. They think that they're doing good to try to silence someone that has an opinion that they believe is harmful to someone else, right? And in their worldview, they are, they're doing a service to, to the world, to the universe, to the collective, to whatever, um, by, by trying to silence someone because they, they think that those ideas are harmful. And I guess like one thing that we could do well to is to try to remember the bit of wisdom that like, I think generally human beings want to do good um, at an individual level. I, I think there's like very few people who actually like enjoy causing harm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and generally when they do, I think it's because they've been conditioned that way. Um, but obviously that that's not living with wisdom. So I think that if, if we remember that like pretty much every human being is like trying to do good. And that if we, if we disagree with someone, they probably still have good intentions at the end of the day. Like they're, they're just trying to do what they think is the best thing. And I think that remembering that and remembering that interconnectedness of like, we're all human beings sort of trying to do the best that we can. Um, you know, that, that's kind of like goes back to that idea of uh, the, the stoicism being a part of the collective, right? Is that like, if you cause harm to someone else, you, you kind of are causing harm to everything. You, you, every bit of pain that you inflict in the world, every bit of uh, judgment that you cast, it, it ultimately leads to a world that's a little bit less stable and a little bit less ruled with wisdom. Yeah. And you kind of hit the head of the nail there where uh, on multiple parts that Stoke philosophy, you know, kind of pushes and, and teaches people, which is, you know, the idea of God is sort of like thinking of logic. I think that's the best way I can put it for now, but, but we're like, um, we're a web. Uh, Marcus Aurelius often references a spider's web where there are many points throughout this entire web that we connect. And by, you know, harming another person or, or choosing a, um, an unethical um, choice, we are sort of hurting another side of that entire web. And so, and, and, and then more simplistically, um, we are all connected in the sense that, you know, the rain falls from the sky and gives grass to the cow and then the cow provides milk and, and so forth and so on as it impacts people. So we all kind of have this, this um, collective connectedness that we've all forgotten about, that we're so distanced from. We don't think about that kind of stuff anymore. And I oftentimes, I, I have to remind myself, you know, when I'm trying to remain grateful and uh, practice gratitude, um, if I'm finding myself in a particular position where I'm not really enjoying something in life or, or, or I'm just feeling a little down, you know, I, I can sit on my couch and just think, okay, well, how can I grant appreci- appreciation for everything that I've achieved or everything that I have, you know, even just down to this couch. I mean, somebody, somebody, many down, um, down that road had to build this, this couch here and and the machines and all the people involved that was able to come together to give me just this one thing. I can find appreciation in that. And that right there is a beautiful Mm thing. And, and people oftentimes kind of, forget that they're very distanced from from that sort of uh connectedness that that we all should be you know kind of looking for in in life and there was a second there was a second part of um of of your answer that you were talking about would you mind reminding me real quick (laughs) there was the connectedness of uh of god and and religion and there was another part that i kind of spacing out on kind of uh I guess remembering that behind, I guess behind like everything that maybe harms us or we feel harm from in another human being, there's generally another human being that's well-intentioned and and trying to do their best. There it goes. Yeah. Yeah, So Marcus Aurelius and, and well, many of the other Stoics also touch on this point that um, you should understand that everybody wants to do good as well and this is a lot of their teachings as well so everybody kind of wants to be good and and when you mentioned you know cancel culture and how people believe that what they're doing is good as a stoic you kind of have to sit back and not judge them so harshly you know like okay i i have to i think it's better to think that you think you're doing good the only thing that the Stoic can do then is kind of open up that bridge of communication in the best way, showing that you understand where they're coming from, especially mm-hmm. with their intentions. Yes, I, 
I can imagine you know that what you do is good, but here is maybe a better approach because we're so locked in to, to what we believe that we lose sight of, hey, many things can be true at once. Yes, maybe that portion of cancel culture um, benefited for a time, but maybe the direction that we're going into maybe may not be that great. Or this person that we are canceling, um, maybe we're not even listening to the entire story. Maybe you're not even understanding where they're coming from. Maybe there's missing evidence that we are forgetting. We, we kind of um, cast blame and, and judge people so quickly that nowadays we forget that, hey, not everybody wants to be evil. And yes, to your point as well, those that do want to are sort of conditioned to some capacity. I mean, we, we react based on how we were raised and, and whatnot. I mean, if you were somebody who was not very well uh, loved or appreciated, your response will likely be that you're going to make sure that others do not feel loved and appreciated either. It is not necessarily that you believe that people uh, deeply shouldn't. It's because you had a lack back then. You know, so there's a lot of self-awareness, self-reflection <clears throat> that we all have to kind of go into. And I guess that leads into my, my, my next question to you, which is, what are some exercises or daily practices? And we were kind of touching on that a little bit, but I want to provide the listeners of, of something that can help us kind of move past this, um, these issues that we're running into with, with interconnectedness and, hey, where's that light in the tunnel? So like, what, what are some practical exercises or daily practices that, that you would uh, tell people to incorporate? to live a more virtuous and ethical life. Okay. Yeah. And my, my answer actually is going to touch on a couple of things that I really wanted. I wanted to emphasize that you spoke about, I think that are really important. And that the first one is gratitude. Um, Cicero tells us that uh, not only is gratitude the greatest of all virtues, but it's the parent of all the others. Um, so from, from the Genesis or, or, or from gratitude, there, there is the genesis of, of all of the other virtues that we, we seek out of justice, of, um, of temperance, of wisdom, right? These all come from gratitude because gratitude is kind of reconnecting with what is good and, and shifting our perspective. Uh, part, of, part of the reason that we're so devoid of wisdom is because of the lack of gratitude, right? Like, People are not gracious and, and happy for what they have, but they're constantly bombarded. They're like, I need, I need to get, you know, this nice car. I need to get this house. I need, I need to have what others have in order to be validated and valuable and, and happy. And we're, we're told over and over and over again through the Stoics, I mean, whether it's, uh, you know, Diogenes, the dog, whether it's Seneca, whether it's Marcus Aurelius, like, they, they tell us over and over in the ancient world that happiness is never going to be found in the pursuit of more. Happiness is only found through the acceptance and the, the appreciation for what we already have. Um, so that, that's, that's so, so, so important. And I think that, that that's a big daily habit for me is that like anytime I find myself in a negative state of mind is, is trying to shift that perspective and say, what is there here that I can be grateful for? And then if we're honest, there, there's so much to be grateful for, right? Like um, I, I go back to Diogenes, the dog in Athens, and he he lives in a, a barrel and he has a cloak and he used to carry a spoon. And one day he, he saw a young boy that was drinking out of the river or the aqueduct with his hands. And Diogenes was so ashamed of himself because he'd been carrying around this spoon to drink water. And he just threw the spoon into the river and he, he, he then only had two possessions, right? Because there was only two things that he needed for the good life. And that was just a little bit of shelter and to be able to stay warm. And even for food, he just relied on the kindness of strangers and people giving him uh, food and he didn't depend on money. And he, he lived this happy life so much to the, so much so that, you know, when he met the great emperor, Alexander, uh, Alexander comes up to him and says, I'll, I'll give you anything that you desire in this kingdom. You know, I, I own everything. What do you want? Uh, 
And Diogenes just says, you know, please stop blocking my son. You're, you're blocking this, this moment of enjoyment that I'm here laying in the sun. And Alexander was so impressed that he said, if I wasn't Alexander, I would, I would want to be Diogenes. And the, the acknowledgement of that, right? The man who has everything in the world says, if I wasn't myself, if I wasn't in this position of power, I would want to be this other man because he's free, right? And freedom is just the acknowledgement and the appreciation for the things that we have. Um, that that's happiness. Like that's, you know, I know it's the uh, the Stoic sage, right? I mean that that is what the sage is. The sage is the person that embodies and lives and and shows through every action in their knowledge that they have everything they need to be sufficient. They're free, right? And I think that that is that is how we free the inner world from the pursuit of of the outer world. I, I think is is purely through appreciation. I think it all starts there with just acknowledging that we have all that we need. Um, I, I think that is so, so important. And then, you know, the other thing that I would say is you're talking about like society and, you know, how do we, how do we reconnect? I think part of the reason that like cancel culture is so dangerous is because it discourages dialogue. And when you go all the way back to the genesis of philosophy in the, in the Western world with Socrates, right? He, he believed that philosophy was a living thing between two people. And the, the Stoics talked about this too. I can't remember which one it was, but I remember one of them references the idea that like, basically if you see like, if you see like a booger hanging out of someone's nose, right? You're, you're going to go up and like a good person is going to say, Hey, you have a booger. And they'll, they'll get it, right? Or if they stink, they'll be like, hey, you smell, like put some deodorant on, right? Like that's part of our obligation to society is to have discussions through wisdom when we think that someone is maybe living wrongly or doing something in error. And it's not because we're judging them. It's not because um, we're superior to them. It's we make mistakes too, right? And we would want, if, if we're walking around with this big stain in our shirt, we would want somebody that maybe has an understanding of that stain to explain to us that we're doing so that we can correct ourselves. And when we do this cancel culture thing, we don't have conversations, people get just more divided. And it's like, how is the world ever going to get better if we can't have discourse, if we can't talk with one another, if we can't explain our perspectives so that someone else might be able to see the error in their ways? Or, you know, hey, just a thought, maybe we'll listen to the other person's perspective and we'll realize that we were wrong to even point out the thing to begin with. Right. But in order for that to happen, we got to live with wisdom and we have to have conversations with one another. Um, and in, until we can do that again, until, until we can be grateful for our lives the way they are um, to find gratitude until we can start to have discussions with human beings again about belief without being to each other's throats and wanting to kill each other and without wanting to cancel one another. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how we progress without those. I, I think that those are kind of the, the key ingredients to, to any sort of like solution. Yeah. Gra gratitude, appreciation, and um, reminding ourselves of, of wisdom and, and with that wisdom comes, you know, um, being just with one another, being moderate with yourself and and being open to to discussion i mean being being so self-aware that you have to recognize that you don't have all the answers and in order to get more more knowledge and wisdom you have to have dialogue you have to talk to one another we're, we're so interconnected you you would think that you would be able to talk more. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the, that's the most ironic thing about how interconnected we are. You know, we can, we, we have access to talk to people all over the world yet, yet we choose to stay in a, in a, in a bubble of, and not, not only that, but oftentimes avoid uh, of just reverberation of your own voice at that point. I mean, I think we've all seen Twitter and so, yeah. Or should I say X nowadays? But um, that is sound advice and, and 
those are things that I would also, you know, employ and, and today also, also do as a daily practice, you know, I'm always trying to remain grateful for the things that I do have in pursuit of things that I would like as well. But recognizing that they're not necessities all the time, not all things are necessities, calling, calling forth uh, Diogenes, the wisdom of Diogenes, you know, we can have things and you can strive for more things, but recognize that you don't really need many of the things that you think you do. So appreciate what you do have. Grow to love that. <clears throat> and and in pursuit of more, remember that you shouldn't let those desires for those things cloud your judgment, cloud um, the appreciation that you should be having for today, for the present moment, for for that little bit of sun, sunshine that you see on a daily basis. Yeah. You know, it, it makes me think of Seneca too, like, as we talk about the preferred indifference, right? S Seneca was a very wealthy and powerful man, but he wasn't great because he was wealthy and powerful. He's not remembered because of that. He He's remembered because he wasn't defined by that. That, that wasn't his legacy to the world. His legacy was his writings and his work and his, his time and patience to try to, you know, to try to turn Nero not into such a little psychopath, which obviously it, it failed, but uh, you know, he tried and he wanted to go retire and he wanted to go uh, be a philosopher in the countryside somewhere, but he, he felt this sense of duty to try to raise an emperor that wouldn't uh, destroy Rome. And with Seneca, something I always think about with him is his, his little passage where he talks about going through periods where he will sleep on a stone floor and eat nothing but stale bread. And that, you know, we should do this periodically to remind ourselves how little is needed for the good life. And then from, from such a powerful, wealthy man, I mean, that that's even more amazing, right? Because it, it's easy for someone that's, that's poor to sleep on a stone floor and eat stale bread because they, they have to. Um, but, but for someone that could do exactly the opposite, could do anything they wanted basically to, to humble themselves and to remind themselves of, you know, that basically all the things that they have are just dust in the wind. Um, I think we could, would do well to, to remember that message. Definitely. And, you know, as we close off here, um, uh, firstly, I want to thank you so much for for your wisdom today, uh, Shane, and and uh, and your perspective on a lot of things, um, and really, really appreciate you being on the show. Uh, you know, is is there anything that you want to have as a key takeaway to that you want to provide to the listeners of today's episode? Um, you know, I I think maybe. I think maybe the most important thing that we, we talked about um, was, was, was gratitude, um, but gratitude and, and just not to forget that the pursuits of the world, like we can use them for good, right? So it's not to say that we can't participate in the world, um, but just to remember that there is more than that, right? That's not everything like wealth for its own sake is, is an empty pursuit wealth so that we can spend more time with our families or give back to others or help to build, uh, you know, companies that are, that are ethical, that uh, help its employees and provide a, a way of living for people. These are good things, right? So just, I think to remember, right, that, that the pursuit of the world is not the end goal, right? These should just be things that we're trying to acquire so that we can focus more on, on that inner world wise words and you know before i let you go shane thank you so much for being on the show is there anything that you're working on right now that we can point these listeners uh in in, in your direction sure um well yeah so i i launched the uh, renaissance wisdom podcast about uh six months ago i'm I think I'm on like 26 episodes in. So I, I release a new episode uh, every Wednesday at midnight. So if anybody wants to check out it is a, it's an interview um, form show. So I, I bring on guests from, from different backgrounds and just look for practical wisdom from their lives uh, for listeners. 
Um, you know, the, of course I have my book, uh, Renaissance wisdom, how to flourish in the modern day. Uh, it's been, been out a little over a year now, and I am working on my, my next book as well. Um, hoping to have it out by the end of the year. So it's sort of like the daily stoic. Um, it's a, it's a collection of daily quotes that we're meant to read one, one a day along with a daily reflection. Um, you know, which is just a, a good way to, to start your, start your day or end your day or take a lunch break and just do a little bit of reflection on the inner world, right? The, these things that we lose track of. So um, you can look me up. I'm at uh, Renaissance Wisdom um, on Instagram, or you can also go to my website. It's renaissance-wisdom.com. All righty. Be looking forward to that. Thank you so much, Shane. I really appreciate your time on the podcast and have a great day. You too, Daniel. Thanks. Thank you for listening in. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps out the show. If you would like to check out Stoic Sage merch or read the blog, please go to stoicsage.co. Also, give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook, and I wish you well, my fellow Stoics, on your path to sagehood.